Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello, church. Um, great to be with you tonight, and it's the Christmas season. Have you noticed that? It's that turning point in the year where you go, it's definitely Christmas. We're in our Christmas series, we're singing Christmas carols, um, everyone's starting to panic, uh, everyone drives a little bit quicker, all those things are starting to happen. Um, what, how are you feeling about Christmas? So let me ask you this, are you, are you excited? Are you looking forward to Christmas? Um, how are you feeling? Let me give you some stats on Christmas. Um, Santa is on his way. Um, so this year, someone's excited... Uh, this year, he's got 9.9 million households to visit across the nation, and uh, he's got nine hours and 43 minutes of darkness across Christmas Eve uh, to visit all those households. Um, so he's got 3.5 milliseconds to visit each home. Uh, and apparently, if he eats one cookie per household, he will consume 1.5 billion calories in one night. So there's some fun stats for you for... But here's, here's some, uh, some other stats. 23% of Aussies will re-gift presents this year. Um, so just be, just be on the lookout for this. Apparently there's going to be 7 million re-gifted gifts out there. Um, I'm always suspicious of these. Um, but let's have a look at something more serious. The meaning of Christmas. So this is McCrindle Research. They asked, um, I think it was 2,000 people, which, which of the following phrases do you prefer to see and hear at Christmas time? So, Merry Christmas, 85% of people said, that's what I want to hear. Seasons greetings, only 8%. Happy holidays, 7%. Uh, Here's the other question they asked people. Uh, What do you think of shopping centres and local councils putting up nativity scenes with a manger and baby Jesus at Christmas time? 53% 53% said, I think it's great. The story of Christmas is important and should not be lost. Uh, 38%, uh, second most popular, said, I think they should be allowed uh, with, with the other Christmas decorations in public spaces. 5% of people said, I think it's better if we avoid putting them up in public spaces. And 4% said, I think they should not be permitted in public spaces. We are a multicultural and religiously diverse society. Um, so there's some interesting stats on Christmas. There's one other I read. Uh, it was put out by Australian Unity Wellbeing Index. So basically they work out, they've got seven different indicators. How happy are Aussies? Uh, and apparently um, we are the least happy, the least satisfied with life that we've been in the last 20 years. Uh, isn't that interesting? So there's uh, there was 2,000 participants, people between the age of 18 and 70. A uh, whole lot of measures, you know, like your relationships, your work, your family, a whole lot of things. We are the least satisfied with life uh, at this point we have been for the last 20 years. And you think to yourself, why is that? We're, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. What's going on that we're not happy? And so here's the question I've got for you tonight. Can we be happy at Christmas? Can we have lasting joy at Christmas? 
Uh, So let's think into that tonight. Uh, Because Christmas is that season, isn't it, where you're meant to be happy. You're meant to be joyful. Uh, It's the season of festivities, of parties, of presents. We sing songs of joy. But it's often that moment that triggers other things for us as well, doesn't it? Uh, It triggers, it can trigger stress, uh, a hurriedness, I've got to get things organised, and anxiety even. And many people look for quick fixes uh, to, to, to help them in this season. But what we're going to see tonight, and I'll, I'll give you this up front, is there is no real enduring joy without Jesus. That real, lasting, satisfying joy is not found in us, uh, it's not found in things or a season or festivities, it's found in God who came in the flesh. It, it, it comes in Jesus. And we're going to see it through the eyes of one of the forgotten characters. We're going to see it through the eyes of Elizabeth. So come with me on the journey. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And we'll have a look at the verses there from verse 39. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we're in Luke's biography of Jesus' life. Uh, here is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's the first Christmas. It's 2,000 years ago. And Luke makes clear right at the beginning of this chapter, uh, I'm recording for you real events, real people, real places, real history. Uh, So this is fact, not fiction. This is history, not myth. Uh, And here we are in chapter 1, down in verse 39. And the birth of Christianity, I don't know whether you ever noticed this, starts in an incredibly real and earthy way. It begins with two pregnant women. Uh, That's how Christmas starts, that's how Christianity begins. And who are they? It's Mary, uh, the one that we're most familiar with, the most famous of the two, and it's also Elizabeth. Um, A conversation's going on between Mary and Elizabeth uh, about their two sons yet to be born. Uh, So what's about to happen? Two sons are about to come into the world, two massive figures, John and Jesus, uh, their pregnancies, the, the pregnancies of the women are, are both unexpected and unplanned. But of course, from God's perspective, this is completely planned. Uh, this has been planned for centuries. Uh, in fact, no pregnancy takes God by surprise. Uh, every child is planned by God. Every child, the Psalms tell us, is knitted together by, by God in, the, in their mother's womb. There are no accidents. Uh, we are not random. But here are two babies about to be born with massively influential roles in the salvation plans of God. Uh, This is the pregnancy of all pregnancies, if you could say that. Both chosen by God. In fact, uh, our our calendar uh, records this, doesn't it? 2023, it's 2023 years since Jesus was born. And so these two babies, one born of Elizabeth, will be the prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist. Uh, The other one through Mary will be the son of the Most High. Uh, If you like, one womb will carry uh, the one who prepares the way for the Lord. The other one will carry the Lord himself. And so let's focus in on Elizabeth. Let's think about uh, Christmas through her eyes. Now, as as you heard that passage read, I don't know what you noticed about Elizabeth, but the thing that strikes me, here is a woman full of joy. She exudes joy. 
Um, there she is, she, she is exclaiming joy with a loud voice. She announces joy. Uh, she wants the world to know this is a joyous occasion. Uh, even the baby within her womb is leaping with joy. And I want you to notice that this is particularly extraordinary because Elizabeth wouldn't have been in a great place. Uh, I'll let you read the backstory for yourself, but chapter 1, uh, let me give you some of the facts about Elizabeth. She's, she's an older woman. She's been infertile all her life. She's had the lifetime of grief of not having children. Uh, that, that is a grief that some of you are aware of. Uh, but in her culture, uh, it was shameful. Uh, it was looked upon in, that it was, it was shameful for her not to have children. And then finally and miraculously, an angel of the Lord appears to her, her husband, Zechariah. Uh, finally, the angel comes to her and says, your prayers have been answered, you're going to have a son. He's, he, he's going to be uh, loved by many. Many will rejoice over him. He will be the Elijah figure. He'll, he'll point people to the Messiah. Uh, he'll get people ready for the Lord. You should be excited by this. And what does her husband do? He doesn't respond in the most noble way. He doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe the angel when the angel says that. And so the angel makes him mute. He can't speak. Um, That comes across as embarrassing, uh, if not for him, for Elizabeth. And so she becomes pregnant, but then she lives in seclusion for five months. And it's probably, it's almost certainly out of fear of ridicule that she doesn't go out in public for five months. Because who is going to believe her that an angel appeared, uh, that she's now pregnant, that she has the forerunner to the Messiah until she's actually showing? So how can, how can Elizabeth rejoice? Uh, and you might be thinking this yourself, you might be thinking, I've had this massive year... Uh, Christmas is one of those times where everything just comes to a head, doesn't it? Uh, How can I rejoice this Christmas? Uh, How can I draw on something deeper? Well, let's let's learn from Elizabeth. Uh, Look at it with me in verse 39. I'll give you a bit of background. She's she's at home. She's six months pregnant now. Uh, She gets a visitor to her door. It's Mary. And Mary's just had the news. Mary's just been struck by the news from another angel. Uh, you too will give birth, this time it is to a son who will be the son of the Most High. And so Mary visits Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. It's fascinating, isn't it? Given everything that's happened to Elizabeth, you can imagine how extraordinarily excited she would have been. She's about to have a baby. And yet, what do you notice here? She's even more excited about Mary's pregnancy. She's more excited about Mary... uh, I don't, that doesn't strike me as the norm for pregnant women. Uh, if I can speak for pregnant women for a moment. Um, pregnant women are usually deeply focused on their child to be born. Uh, they're used to the attention being on them. 
which, is, which is why we ask them those questions, don't we? Uh, when you meet someone who's pregnant, uh, when are you due? Uh, do you know the sex? Uh, which hospital? How are you feeling? And usually after that, I run out of questions. Um, if you're brave, you might ask, was it planned? <laughs> um, but there's every reason, isn't there, for the attention to be on Elizabeth. She's the older woman. She's due uh, honour from Mary. Uh, she's further along in her pregnancy. It's very obvious that God has fulfilled his promise to her. Uh, she's in her own home. Mary has come to visit her. But instead, Elizabeth, without a hint of jealousy, honours Mary. I reckon there's the first lesson from Elizabeth. Joy comes as you look to others, as you serve and honour other people. As you take the attention off yourself uh, and, and consider others more important than you, that's what Elizabeth's doing, isn't she? And it's very counterintuitive, isn't it? You'd think, if I want to be happy, if I want to be joyful, I need to focus on me. I need to get the attention back onto me. I need to pump myself up. I need to perhaps even put others down, make sure they don't get as much attention. But it's actually the opposite that's true. Joy comes when you humble yourself and you lift others up. You serve and honour others. Uh, It's what the Apostle Paul said uh, in Philippians 2. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but but each of you to the interests of others. Uh, It's the example that Jesus gave us, isn't it? So there's Elizabeth um, uh, honouring Mary, but of course there's something much, much bigger going on here, isn't there? Uh, There's there's a much bigger reason Elizabeth has her attention on Mary. That is, Elizabeth recognises something that she would only recognise by the Spirit of God. She could not know of her own. Mary is carrying the Lord. Uh, She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. Uh, Listen, in verse 42, she shouts out, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, what does Elizabeth get? She gets that the long-awaited Saviour, the Lord, the one called Emmanuel, God with us, the one who's been promised for centuries has arrived in the womb of Mary. That we're right on the eve, right on the cusp of not just a son arriving, but the son of the Most High. Uh, Here is the one that Samuel spoke of, the one who will come in the line of David, who will reign over God's people forever. There's no one bigger than this. Elizabeth gets this is massive. Uh, This is what every prophet in the Old Testament over 1,500 years spoke of with one clear message, there is a Messiah coming, there is a King coming, there is a Saviour, God's Son, God Himself is coming. And Elizabeth sees He's coming in Mary. What does Elizabeth get? She gets, here is the root of Jesse. Uh, Here is the suffering servant out of Isaiah. This is massive. Here is the one in Genesis 3 who who has been promised to crush the head of Satan to put things right. 
Elizabeth gets, Mary is about to give birth to this one. In other words, Elizabeth knows, I'm carrying the forerunner to the Lord, but you are carrying the Lord. Uh, The Saviour is coming and He's within you. I need to honour you. And it it does say something about Mary, doesn't it? She is a very special woman. She is a unique woman. Uh, she's not perfect. She's, she's certainly not sinless. Um, but she is carrying the saviour of the world. She's carrying the Lord of the universe. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church have it completely wrong when they pray to her. But she is unique. The Roman Catholic Church has that part right. Of, of 60 billion women across the globe, across time, there's only one woman who gave birth to the saviour of the world. And that was Mary. And so Elizabeth sees very clearly, uh, here is a woman to be honoured. So verse 42, blessed are you among women. Uh, Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What an honour, what a privilege, what a special role Mary has in the plans of God. And it's very easy to minimise that, isn't it? Uh, If you come from the Protestant tradition, which is us, Uh, You don't want to elevate Mary unhelpfully, um, but we should acknowledge that she is someone to be honoured. So when your Roman Catholic friends say to you, don't you believe in Mary? You want to say, I do. Blessed is she among all women. She carried the Lord of the universe, the saviour of the world. Uh, When I was a teenager, when I was studying for my HSC, um, I had one of those, I had my great aunt, who's quite distant from our family, but she came to visit us, uh, and she was a staunch Roman Catholic. Uh, And she must have seen me uh, nervously preparing for my HSC, and she encouraged me to pray to St. Joseph uh, to help me with my exams. Uh, And I, I remember recently looking up who Saint Joseph is. Uh, apparently he's the patron, the patron saint of examinations, in brackets, really hard ones. Um, and so she prayed to all the saints for different things. She encouraged me to pray to this saint. And she also prayed to Mary. But I, was, I, was, I didn't have enough knowledge and didn't have enough guts to say to my aunt that no one, not Joseph, not Mary, not anyone other than Jesus, gets us access to God the Father. No one can bring us to the Father except for Jesus. Mary is blessed among all women, but something has seriously gone wrong with with our view of her when we pray to her. And so what I would say humbly to my aunt, if she's still alive today is if Mary knew that you were praying to her, she would be crying in heaven. Uh, Because Mary knew that there was one mediator, uh, the one she gave birth to, one mediator between God and us, Jesus. In fact, Mary herself, uh, in this song to come, speaks of God as her saviour. So extraordinary, she has an extraordinary place in God's plans, but she is a humble woman, the Lord's servant, and she rejoices in God her Saviour. So, see it with me. Elizabeth rejoices. Uh, she gets, it's about 
Mary, it's not about me. It's Mary who's carrying the Lord. But it's more personal than that, isn't it? Notice what she says. She says, Mary is the mother of my Lord. And in other words, within you is my King, my Redeemer, my Rescuer. Uh, My Redeemer is about to enter the world. There's every reason for Elizabeth to be joyful. It's hard to know, isn't it, how much she knew of what Jesus would do. But in the song that follows, uh, expressed, sung by Mary, you get a taste of what Jesus will do and why it's worth rejoicing in Jesus. Let me point out two things. The first one is mercy. Look down in verse 50. Uh, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. See, many generations will... uh, Elizabeth's rejoicing, but now many generations will rejoice because of Jesus. It's not just good news for Elizabeth, it's good news for millions of people who will trust Jesus. In Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection, uh, him paying the penalty for sins, God is able to show mercy to millions across the globe. Millions who trust in Jesus will be accepted, will be forgiven, will now call God their friend, Uh, will now have a father in heaven, will now be adopted into God's family. Elizabeth rejoices, we should rejoice because of these things. Uh, It's remarkable, isn't it? Now, millions of people who trust in Jesus will no longer live for themselves, but live for Jesus the King. Uh, Millions of people will no longer think what, worry about what other people think of them, but what God thinks of them, that they are now forgiven, that they have now received mercy. That is incredibly liberating. That is an incredible reason to be rejoicing in Jesus. And it's so much more liberating, isn't it, than the, the other messages we hear about Christmas. One of the ones I keep hearing is Christmas is all about family. And isn't that a very cruel idol to put before anyone. Because uh, family is a great gift from God, but family is broken. Family is incredibly broken for some. To say that Christmas and life and celebration and joy is to be found in family is heartbreaking. Now, Christmas is, is all about Jesus and joy is found in Him and even in the family that we belong to because of Him. Well, what's the second thing? The second thing here in Mary's song is millions will rejoice because they see in Jesus a revolution. They, they see in Jesus, he will reverse the injustices of the world. Uh, they see in Jesus someone who will finally come and fix this broken world. So look with me in verse 51. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So here is Jesus, the ultimate social justice warrior. Uh, We like to think of social justice, but here is God far ahead of us, thinking much bigger than us, thinking much more permanently and long term. Uh, Jesus will set injustice right. He will bring justice to our world. Uh, We see glimpses of it, don't we, in the person of Jesus as he walks around in Palestine. 
uh, as he heals, as he shows compassion, as he feeds the hungry. But it's in his death and resurrection that he will enact an ultimate reversal uh, of the curse. That in that last judgment, he will put everything right. Uh, No longer will people use power to abuse others. Uh, No longer uh, will the arrogant rule, they will be brought down. And no longer will the rich rule over the poor. Uh, On that day, every evil thought, every evil deed will be brought to account. Justice will be finally served. That is a reason to rejoice. Uh, That is a reason to look out at our world, see it broken, but know that Jesus has has and will uh, reverse it. Well, there is real hope, there is real joy. And notice, notice it's joy not in the absence of difficulty and suffering, but in the midst of it. Uh, it's not sweeping the difficulties of life under the carpet. It's real, enduring joy, even facing difficulty and suffering and uncertainty. Uh, that's what it means to rejoice uh, in Jesus uh, And that is the only way to rejoice, even when things are not right. Because there are some alternatives, aren't there? There, Have you noticed the alternatives to so-called happiness and joy? Uh, One of them is escapism. One of them is, um, I'm just going to not deal properly with the issues in my life or in the world. I'm not going to acknowledge those. I'm going to deal with it by escaping to something else. Uh, Whether that's entertainment or a relationship or alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be, escapism is a very poor alternative to joy in Jesus. Uh, The other one is, uh, I've called it superficial happiness, if you like, that somehow everything will just work out. Uh, We don't want to think too deeply about the issues of the world. Uh, It's almost a wishful thinking uh, that, that it will turn out in the end. That is a poor alternative to joy in Jesus. Uh, what, is, what is tonight saying to us? It's saying, don't go looking for deep, lasting joy in the wrong places. Uh, you won't find it in your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your spouse, uh, your possessions, your job, your friends. They are great gifts from God, but you won't find real, lasting, enduring joy there. And it won't come from money. Uh, and Money's one of those ones, isn't it, where you go, of course we wouldn't think that. But then we want to try it, don't we? Uh, Then we want to give it a go. Well, it's a bit like um, Arnie Schwarzenegger who said, I'm no, you know, money can't buy you happiness. I'm no happier on 8 million than I was on 7 million. Uh, Or Jim Carrey who said, uh, I wish everyone could be as wealthy and as influential and as famous as I am to know that that is not the answer. Uh, See, we're lured into it, aren't we? Uh, That somehow life would be better, more joyful, if I had more things, if I had more money. But real hope, real solid hope, is only found in Jesus. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard this hymn. Uh, It's a hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. Have you guys heard this hymn? Yeah, it's an old classic. Uh, I was reading about the, the author of this hymn 
It's a guy who had immense tragedy in his life. Uh, he, I don't know how many kids he had, but he lost five children to tragedy. Uh, he lost his son in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And then he lost four daughters in a boating accident crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And he actually wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, as he was crossing the Atlantic Ocean uh, in a subsequent voyage, crossing the very point where his daughters lost their life. Uh, Isn't that sobering? But there is a man who's come to terms with absolute tragedy, absolute grief, uh, the, the messiness, the chaos... Uh, the curse of this world and yet can say with all his heart, it is well with my soul because of Jesus. There is solid hope, solid joy. Well, lastly, I just want to say uh, this is not good news of great joy for everyone. I don't know whether you noticed uh, later on in, in Mary's song, uh, in verse 50 it says, it's, it's for those who fear him. In those who revere Jesus, who look to him as Lord. In fact, you have to humble yourself to receive that joy from God. Uh, who, who are the ones who miss out? It's, it's the proud that God will scatter in their inmost thoughts. Uh, and it's true, isn't it? Who is the one who cannot access Jesus the Saviour, Jesus the Lord? It's the one who's proud. Uh, coming to Jesus, Lord, requires humility. Um, I'm not the person I, I, I need to be. I'm the one who needs to be forgiven. You are the Lord. Uh, you have done great things for me. I turn to you. I look to you as Lord. And I want to say that's the case if you're investigating Christianity and you want to become a Christian. But it's the case for us if we are disciples of Jesus to access joy in Jesus, to humble ourselves um, before him and receive that joy. I'm going to pray that we do. Uh, Let's pray.